Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 7. I'm Dean Jones, your host, and I am the Well Seasoned Librarian. Today we have a great guest. Um, Zuza Zach hails all the way from the UK, and we are very happy to have her on here. She is the author of Amber and Rye and her book Polska. Zuza calls herself a storyteller cook because everything she does has to do with cooking and telling stories through the medium of food. She also wants to write to inspire the world to cook and eat more Polish food. And if you haven't already or don't already, you certainly will after reading her work. Her first book, Polska, was written as a love letter to the country where she was born and has given a new chance to talk to the public about the food and her whole home country. She's also started in her um, London, where she lives now, a supper club called A Slavic Tale, which is a um, homage to the cooking of her homeland. And it's in uh, her local community of Hither Green in southeast London. I'm very looking very much forward to having you listen to my conversation with Zuza. And I also want to ask you, if you follow the podcast and enjoy it, you can um, go to Buy Me a Coffee. And if you like my work, you can buy me a coffee and share your thoughts. Uh, the link is on the bio for the podcast on all the different um, formats that we have the podcast on, iTunes, uh, Spotify, etc. Uh, help us promote this podcast and share the episode with a friend, please. Uh, if you can share it on social media, just tag at WellLibrarian on Twitter. You can follow the Well Season Librarian podcast on Spotify and get notified when new episodes are released. So now we're going to go ahead and go right to the conversation with author Zuza Zak. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian podcast. Today I am very honored to have on my program Zuza Zak. Um, she's written Amber and Rye and Polska. Zuza, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with your work, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. It's difficult to um, it's kind of difficult to find a job description for myself as what I do is a little bit niche, but um, I call myself a storyteller cook, and I think that describes it quite well. Um, so what I do is I um, I talk about food, but what I I'm really talking about um, as well as, as as well as the flavors and the tastes of certain places is um, the culture behind it. That's kind of my real interest. And I focus on the food and culture of Eastern Europe. Okay, so um, I wanna talk to you about the idea of the storyteller cook. I've heard you describe yourself as that more than once. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, I guess the, um, the idea is that every food that we eat tells a story. You know, it's, um, uh, it's, it's more than just the time that we're eating it you know and um, the present moment of course it's great to be mindful when you're eating and all that but it's also quite nice to remember that it's tied to um to the history of it maybe a certain place or or your own history of course i mean everyone has their own kind of nostalgic foods and um this is i guess all about stories human history is history so you know it's um for me it's um it's talking about um the food in a certain kind of way which um i guess makes it more interesting now you're born in poland and you immigrated to the uk can you tell us about what it was like to live um your early childhood in poland 
Sure. Um, so it was communist times when I was in Poland, which makes me feel very, very old when I say that, because it feels like another, another era. Um, so in many ways, of course, it was difficult. But, you know, as a child, you don't really feel all those difficulties that adults do when they're trying to um, make everything work in a, in a country like that. Um, so um, it was quite grey times in a way because, you know, lots of concrete and everything felt generally quite grey and heavy. Um, but at the same time, um, there was a wonderful community spirit and a family spirit, and I had a very large extended family. So I also remember a lot of kind of family warmth and um, families really helped each other out in those days um, in terms of food, in terms of childcare. So um, in a way, having that kind of community around you feels like a kind of big protective hug as well. So I do look um, on those times quite nostalgically as well. Now, what was it like for you when you moved to the United Kingdom? It must have been quite a culture shock for you. Of course, yeah. I mean, I was eight. Um, I had been, I think, a couple of times. I see some pictures of myself sometimes in England when my dad was working here, but I didn't really remember it so much. Um, but when I moved, I remember on the ferry to England, spending my whole time in the shop. It was about eight hours on the ferry. And um, I was just in the shop looking at all the colorful packaging. Um, so there was that kind of really sort of starstruck element where, you know, the colorful packaging, the adverts and everything, I really felt like I was, you know, in the West, which was very exciting for me. Um, however, there was also quite a dark, lonely side because I didn't have my whole extended family there. I was very much an outsider and I didn't know the language. Tell us about your book, um, Polska, and how did you come to write it? Uh, yeah, that's interesting because um, it, was, it was a very long process for me. Um, I was um, working in TV and I was actually commuting for sort of a minimum of three hours a day. Um, and I felt the need to really um, have some kind of a project that I really felt strongly about. And I felt very strongly that the West needs to learn more about East European food. I felt there was a real gap there in the understanding of the food and the culture. Um, and I had, you know, lots of criticisms about Polish food leveled at me from people who, who knew nothing about it. I mean, in America, I think you've always had Polish delis and things like that. So there was some level of understanding, whereas in the UK, when I was growing up, there was no Polish people at all. So, um, well, there was the Polonia from the World War II, but from my generation, uh, in my school, for example, there wasn't any other Polish people, at, you know, in my class or in any of the classes from my age or anything like that. So, um, and I kind of went through um, my teenage years and my twenties, kind of trying to sort of explain a little bit about Polish food to sort of um, people who didn't really care, I guess. <laughs> people love to level criticisms at you and then just not listen to any kind of <laughs> retort and this is why I sort of started writing a book because I felt like um, you need to show people really people learn through experience and food is a wonderful inclusive way of showing something yeah people um I think don't think know much about 
Polish culture or Polish food. And I think they just make assumptions. They fill it in, in their heads and they tell you, and you're like, wait a minute. Yes. I actually know about this. <laughs> it must be it kind of weird. That, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, it was annoying. <laughs> it was annoying. So this is why I started writing the book and I was doing it just for half an hour a day at first because um, I didn't, I was commuting all the time. So I didn't really have time. I had a full time job, but I found that if I wake up early and just do half an hour of working on my book a day, it gave me energy for the whole day. You'd think I'd be more tired because I'd be waking up early, but actually it was giving me energy. So I felt like I was on the right path. Now, um, you said that Polska was a love letter for your native country. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess um, if you look at Polska, it's um, it's very much like a rose-tinted view <laughs> of like, uh, you know, all the good stuff about my childhood. I felt there was just so much criticism of Polish food that it felt like I needed to balance it out with showing the beauty of that culture. And um, in many ways, I kind of looked um, past the communist years and did a lot of research into the history of Polish food um to kind of find like hidden recipes and uh, that kind of um polish atmosphere that sometimes um often <laughs> during the communist years was lost now um i noticed that polska has a lot of information and recipes that, that are also involved in foraging for and wild foods are very important in the polish um, recipes can you talk a little bit about that Absolutely. Um, I think foraging and wild foods are um, important in all the East European countries. Um, they have been for centuries and centuries. I think it's, um, I always think, you know, mushroom picking is like, a, it's like a national pastime, but in a way it's kind of more than that. I think of it as the sort of uh, East European forest bathing because um, there are lots of kind of um, folkloric superstitions and things as well to do with um, foraging. And for example, um, if you're uh, foraging for mushrooms, you shouldn't really talk because um, you'll scare away the mushrooms <laughs> and you won't be able to find them, that kind of thing. But it kind of means that you're doing it in silence and you're appreciating your environment. So I think there's definitely kind of a meditative, meditative element um to foraging um and then there's also the element of um there being food shortages so um you know at various times in history uh, foraging was also a way to kind of um sustain yourself and um add variety to your diet now tell me about your book amber and rye how did you come to write it um, well there was quite um a long gap between Polska and Amber and Rye um, for various reasons. Uh, so I guess I started off, I knew I wanted to carry on writing about Eastern Europe because this is something I know about and I feel passionately about. Um, but after Polska, even though it was very well received, um, East European food was still considered very niche. Um, so it was quite a sort of a, uh, difficult journey to find that next kind of book that um, a publisher would want to publish and people would be interested and want to read um, from Eastern Europe. Um, so I had various ideas um, 
And then I started looking into the Baltic countries, which I've always been interested in because my grandmother came from Lithuania. Um, and as I started uh, looking into those Baltic countries, I saw that there was a food renaissance going on, um, rather, um, rather similarly to Warsaw um, and other parts of Poland, you know, Warsaw, um, all the Polish cities um, having sort of food renaissance, uh, but also the Nordic countries. And that was interesting to me, this kind of link between the Nordic countries and Poland. Um, and then as I was looking into it, uh, my dad just received a DNA test for Christmas, uh, just as a separate event. He, um, and it turned out that um, it was, his heritage was half Baltic, half Pole, which was interesting to us because my grandma, even though she was from Lithuania, she always maintained that she was Polish. And then uh, kind of digging further into this, I discovered that, um, there were plenty of um, genetically Lithuanian people um, that actually felt Polish because of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and um, it being the same country for quite a long time. Right. So there are, yeah, so there was like an interesting kind of element there. And once I kind of started digging deeper, I, I, I really felt that this was the idea that I needed to commit to. Now in the book, um, amber and rye, there's a lot of mention of fermentation and cooking. That's very important to the process of cooking in, in that region. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, in all those East European countries, Northern East European countries, um, well, Southern as well, uh, basically it's a way of um, surviving through the winters. And, uh, you know, in England, things will still grow in the winter time. Uh, but the temperatures in those countries are completely different and the ground is frozen over. So you need those fermented foods. Um, now it's, um, it's uh, been proven that fermented foods actually um, preserve, not only preserve the sort of vitamins and minerals, but actually kind of um, uh, have extra kind of uh, probiotics and um, extra sort of uh, elements that make them very, very nutritious and uh, kind of strength giving foods. Um, and I think over the centuries in those countries, um, it's just become a way of life. It's just part of living and um, eating in the winter time, but also the flavor, you know, it's something that the sour flavor is something that we love. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And um, what can you tell us some of the favorite recipes from um, the Amber and Rye book? Uh, some of your favorite, like memorable recipes from that book? Sure, there's quite a lot of recipes. I've got the book in front of me now. So if you don't mind, I might have a little look through. Please do, I no, yes, please. <laughs> um, 
So the book starts with Latvian hemp butter. It's always important to uh, sort of start the book with something special. And I felt like this was a very simple, but very special recipe. Um, it was given to me by my um, friend Linda from uh, Riga, who gifted us uh, this sort of hemp butter. Um, and it's, it was used for centuries to have like a nutritious spread on journeys. Um, especially by merchants and, and travelers. Um, and now it's kind of um, had a sort of little kind of revival, I think, because now it comes in sort of trendy packaging with a marijuana leaf on it and stuff like that. Um, and it's a very kind of, in its traditional form, it's a vegan spread and it's very crunchy and it can be eaten sweet or savory. There is something of peanut butter in it, but I wouldn't kind of, um, it's just like little element because there is a nuttiness there, but it's uh, it's something quite unique. Um, in Estonia, we have kama. That's uh, that was um, described as the most Estonian food to me by uh, one person we met, which is a mixture of grains, which are roasted. Um, oh, and peas as well. Um, they're boiled first. Um, and then they're ground to like a flour, flour consistency. And they will often have it in kefir, again, sweet or salty. Um, nowadays in kind of fancy restaurants, they'll make it into desserts. Um, so that's another ingredient I kind of really enjoyed working with from the Baltics. Um, and obviously there's two different recipes for kama in the book as well, so you can make your own. I'm just going to have a little look through to see some actual recipes. Okay, for this time of year, um, I love the Baltic mash with barley. Barley is one of those flavours that's just loved throughout the Baltics. Um, this is based on a, um, on a Latvian. Actually, is it on a Latvian or is it Estonian? They have similar things in Latvia and in Estonia, the kind of um, mashed potatoes, but with grains and bacon and mushrooms and things like that. Um, okay, a smoked fish and beetroot salad with crispy fish skin. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, the crispy fish skin is an Estonian thing. So it's really nice to kind of use a smoked mackerel, obviously with um, with beetroot and kind of very fresh, fresh flavors. And then um, use the skin for kind of making little kind of crispy things to add extra texture um, on the top of the salad, which I think is a lovely kind of Estonian twist. Out of desserts, I will highlight um, the rye bread and chocolate mousse because, mm. yeah, for chocolate lovers, rye and chocolate is really a match made in heaven. And it's a very sophisticated kind of um, recipe it's a bit denser than a than your average chocolate mousse it's based on something which is called um, a black bread soup actually um but it's got more of a moussey consistency so again this is part of me kind of making the baltic food kind of understandable in the west because you know someone in the west might not want to eat a black bread soup and yet you Add some chocolate to it which i have seen done before in estonia so it's not inauthentic it's just a little bit more modern and you have this delicious dessert which all of a sudden you know people are very interested in 
I could see why. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's a great one. You should try it. Now, you do a lot of research for your cookbooks. What is your research process like? Yes. Um, oh, gosh, yes. I start off with a lot of library research. Yay. Um, <laughs> It's one of my favorite places British Library I love nice. um in London yeah you should visit it if you come to London I don't know if you've been before I've, I've been to London but not, not to the um that library but I would if I when I go back eventually I'll definitely go there now I think you should because it's a beautiful place you have all the ancient books um which are exhibited in the middle of the building and it's uh, you can just go for coffee there and there's exhibitions there and it's a really it's a really wonderful building more on the inside than the outside I would say actually so that's one of my favorite places to start research um, but also now I am doing a PhD at UCL School of Slavonic and East European Studies and they have nice. a wonderful yeah nice. they have a wonderful selection of East European books as you would imagine literally everything so <laughs> that was perfect for research so I start off with doing that um, just general research in that kind of um, way. But with um, Amber and Rye, I decided to focus on modern literature. So I read a lot of kind of um, Baltic modern literature, which had been translated in the last uh, three years. There was a big drive to translate a lot of kind of um, Baltic literature. So that was really good to be able to do that. Um, because it's quite a modern book so I wanted it it's got some old sort of quotes and things in there as well you know you have like the classics but then I wanted to give it that kind of modern feel as well and just highlight some you know great modern stuff that's been written recently in the Baltic countries um, and then of course with Amber and Rye there was the field research which was a five-week trip across the Baltic states, um, which was really the last trip I took anywhere. And so I remember it really probably through rose tinted glasses, but it was really wonderful. Um, but it was with my three year old. So it was also very intense. <laughs> nice. Um, so who are some of your favorite food writers? Oh, yes. Gosh, that's a that's a difficult one because I'll probably just pick like a, a handful. And then afterwards I'll be like, oh, God, I didn't mention that person. But of course, I have to mention Caroline Eden, who is just, you know, sometimes I write when I'm sort of stuck and I've got writer's block, I start reading her books. And then often than not, I feel worse afterwards because I think, oh, God, she's so brilliant. It's It doesn't even feel like uh, food writing in a way. It feels more like you're reading modern literature and the kind of recipes are just sort of, uh, you know, within that. Um, so I think she really crosses the genres in a really brilliant way. Nice. Yeah. So um, I love um, Olya Hercules and Alyssa Tomoshkina for the work they're doing on the Eastern European front. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess when you just look at um, food writing that you might read for just enjoyment, like sort of the books I might have by my bedside table, then um I'll always find space for Diane Henry, uh, sorry, Diana Henry and uh, Nigel Slater. Nice. Um, can you tell us about some of your favorite restaurants in London? Um, my favorite restaurants I haven't been for a while. <laughs> but um... Yeah, that's kind of an unfair question right now. <laughs> yeah. um, 
okay so if someone's going to london in east london st john's bread and wine mm. is my absolute go-to um the kind of modern british food but i would say i mean gosh is it british it's just modern european food you know i guess you might find you know um dishes there my, my you know when i took my friend there for example from poland and she was like gosh british food that's that's interesting and you know and we were eating things and she was like well this could be polish actually yeah. <laughs> you know? smoked fish that kind of thing i think there is such a thing as modern european food i guess at this yeah. moment in time but then maybe in america you have the same i don't know <laughs> like, i think we do like on the east coast especially yeah yeah it might be similar flavors but I guess it, we're looking at things that are local and there's just good food. Um, in London Bridge, there's some fantastic restaurants. Um, I love uh, 40 Maltby Street. Oh, wow. Mm, again, for like just lovely seasonal food. The menu's always changing, lovely wines. Um, and then uh, Jose, of course, for like tapas style food. Mm. I always up there somehow so yeah those are my favorites i think very nice um so what is next for you other than um, the phd have, <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> i'm a little bit in the red with my phd i have to admit now i am doing it every day but it's been a challenge with two small kids and also my other commitments but i have just handed in uh the manuscript for my third book which is coming out next autumn that's fall for you oh nice yeah that's about uh um, i've gone back to poland with that one and that's going to be polish dumplings oh very nice Excellent. yeah it's gonna be a shorter book so and it was actually such a pleasure to write that because it wasn't you know with two young children it can be intense finding the time and you know, if you overcommit yourself, it can go terribly wrong. But this one was just so enjoyable every step of the way um, because it's a bit of a shorter book. So there wasn't so much pressure. It was just fun to research and to work on. Um, and I do have a, a fourth book also in the pipeline, um, which I can't really talk about yet. But I, I can tell you it's not just food. It's going to be a little bit different. Oh, wow. I'm very looking for it very, very much to um, seeing those books and talking to you about them. I'd love to have you back on the show when your new book comes out too. Oh, that would be wonderful. I would love that. Thank you. Well, Zuzu, thank you very much for being on the show. I really enjoyed a chance, getting a chance to talk to you and I love getting a chance to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Zuzu Zak author of Amber and Rye and Polska. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to Zuza. She was a wonderful conversationalist and I really got a lot of information from her. So it was a really fun conversation. I hope that we get to see her back on the show when she has a new book come out. Now coming up on Friday, we have Ken Albala, who is a food historian and a wonderful YouTube host um, who lives local to me. And um, he has a book out, Noodle Soup, Recipes, Technique, Obsession, and Beans of History, among other. A very prolific author who's got quite a bit out. And uh, he writes very uh, um, very well-researched books on the history of food and the science of food and basically everything about food. He's very knowledgeable uh, and was a great guest. I'd love to have him on again. So he'll be on on Friday. So until then, 
I hope you guys have a great week and happy cooking.